0: You're listening to the SSPX Podcast. This is a series of conferences given by Father Thomas Asher of the Society of St. Pius X on the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's meant to be seen as a private retreat, a retreat that you can do while you're sheltering in place or at your house, perhaps with some extra time. For all of our conferences, please visit sspxpodcast.com. Now here's Father Asher. The baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 3. Verse 1-17 through 17. And in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Do penance, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet, saying, A voice of one crying in the desert, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And the same John had his garment of camel's hair, and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the country about Jordan, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And seeing many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Ye brood of vipers, who hath showed you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth therefore fruit worthy of penance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I tell you that God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. For now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree therefore that doth not yield good fruit shall be cut down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you in the water unto penance, but he that shall come after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse his floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to the Jordan unto John to be baptized by him. But John stayed him, saying, I ought to be baptized by thee, and come thou to me? And Jesus answering said to him, Suffer it to be so now, for so it becomes us to fulfill all justice. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, being baptized forthwith, came out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So, verse 1. And in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the desert of Judea. It is rather remarkable that... The first part of this sentence covers roughly 25 to 30 years of our lord's life just simply in those days just prior to this in matthew's gospel he had our lord going up to, to nazareth or going down to nazareth we use the language of scripture and they're living with with mary and joseph and again this these years of our lord's hidden life are are completely passed over they're completely hidden it is maybe a bit of a lesson there. I think we probably already alluded to it. But to be seemingly forgotten, to be seemingly nobody, is not necessarily a bad thing. Because obviously it keeps us rooted in humility. It gives us a better appreciation for, for what we are, simply, simply creatures of, of God. We recall our, our Lord's words to St. Teresa uh, of Avila, that, that I am he that is and you are that which is not. So what is apparently great or mighty in the eyes of the world is, is mere foolishness and child's play with God. And yet again, for, for ourselves, if we are seemingly weak and forgotten and, and alone, we, we, we know that that is not the reality. We know that God is always with us. So John the Baptist is taking up his public ministry. Now, under the, the old Jewish law, in order to have a, a public ministry, It was necessary to be at least 30 years old, and remember our Lord will be beginning his ministry shortly after this, John being just six months older than our Lord, and we see that his ministry is one of prayer and sacrifice. John is calling the people not only to repentance, but also to penance, as we see in verse 2, and saying, do penance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, our Lord, later in the Gospels, when, we, when he begins to preach, he will say that unless you do penance, you will all likewise perish. Quite often when people hear the word penance, they, they cringe and, and maybe begin to draw back or, or tune out what Father's saying. But, but Dom Zeller has some very good and encouraging words with regard to penance that I'd like to read for you briefly, if I may. Dom Zeller was born in 1905. He actually died in, in 1984. He was a Benedictine abbot. And here's what he has to say. People don't do penance because they approach it from the wrong angle. If they thought of it as turning wholly to God, they would be spurred to gather their whole self from the four corners of their particular earth and face about away from self and towards God. The only penance worth anything is not simply conversion from, but conversion to. A man may feel drawn to do penance to make up for some indulgence. This is good. But penance is designed for something more than this. There is a penitential outlook to be acquired, a habit of compunction. Such a disposition may or may not produce acts of penance, which depend on the action of grace, and various outward factors such as health, circumstances, obedience, etc. Such an attitude of mind will certainly deny self. It is the denying of self that is the essence of penance, this may involve foregoing satisfactions or not manifesting itself in different ways. Penances can mislead in two ways, can in fact be a way of a way to deny doing penance, which is truly going against self will, or can give a false impression of self. True penance is the surrender of self to God to maintain this surrender, enduring constantly the hardships of life, big and small is to prove the quality of the original repentance, conversion, and break with sin. A certain austerity will be a sign of true penitence, but it will not be an infallible sign, nor the only one. The infallible signs are humility and charity. A false saint can give a good account of himself in the matter of austerity, but no false saint can keep up humility and charity for long. A false saint can shed tears of remorse, but five minutes of true repentance can turn him from a false saint to at least the beginnings of a true servant of God. Neither perfection nor penance depend on careful planning, for this can easily lead to regimentation. Embracing himself to meet the will of God, the will of man, tends to set itself into a rigid and heroic mold. The intention may be good, but the manner is bad. Instead of trying to harden in a determined course, The soul should try to become more supple, awaiting the breath of the Spirit of God. Those two or three minutes then of of Dom Zeller, I think there's a lot we can can meditate on there. As he said, the the true penance is one of conversion. It's a renouncement of my own will. And there is that danger of of taking on certain austerities or certain penitential practices and making them um, something that actually stands in the way of grace. If you read the desert fathers, I mean these men who lived and, and performed incredible austerities in the in the deserts of Egypt and, and thereabouts, you'll see that when a guest came, they would break their fast, they would have wine, they would they would they would give up their normal austerities, their normal penances, because charity demanded it. And that's something I think that we can we can learn very much from in our in our homes and in our dealings with our neighbor and trying to bring others to the faith. Verse three for this is he that was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet, saying, A voice of one crying in the desert, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Now the Jews were expecting Elias to, to come, you know, prior to the coming of the Messiah. And John the Baptist came, we can say, in the spirit and power of Elias. He was certainly raised up by God for the first coming of Christ. And then when Christ comes the second time, well, Elias will appear and herald his coming. Now, he is. Uh, he calls himself the, the voice of one crying in the desert, makes straight the ways of the Lord. Now, it is worth noting here the axiom in theology that, that grace builds on nature. So if John the Baptist is calling them to this, this external practice of penance, you know, taking on a certain austerity, trying to break it as much as they can with the world, this is, this is, um, in line with what the church does, um, with catechumens, that they are expected to, to do penance, um, as they prepare to receive the sacrament of baptism. And so too, um, for the soul, when we, when we fall into sin, if we have, you know, particularly if someone has the misfortune of falling into grave sin, we are expected that we will do penance and that penance will be let's say what is necessary to see the soul through to confession it is a great mistake you know for a soul if they fall into sin to simply say well i'm in the state of you know i'm in the state of mortal sin i'm not i'm not meriting anything i might as well live it up until i can get to confession again and obviously this is this is a terrible snare of the devil we must if we fall we must immediately pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off as best we can. We we renounce the sin. We renounce whatever it is that separated us from God. We, we strive to do penance until we can get to confession. And the sacramental penance that the priest gives us, um, it's understood that in addition to the sacramental penance I receive, I'm doing penance on my own. Again, our Lord made it very clear, unless we do penance, we're going to perish. Verse 4, and the same John had his garment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. So like Elias, Elias who was called a hairy man with with hairy clothes, um, Elias or uh, John the Baptist here in his appearance, he, he resembles to some to some extent Elias. Notice that his his food is is simple fare. Um, he he has the locust, he has the, the the wild honey, whatever he might be able to to find. These locusts, apparently, uh, in ancient times, they were smoked and salted. And I'm told never tried them, but I'm told that they were almost like an almond in, uh, in flavor when they were dried and, and prepared in this way. And as John is content, we can say with this simple fare. So we too ought to be satisfied with little. Verse five, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the country about Jordan. Now, John is obviously a very powerful preacher if if all are going out to hear him. And certainly part of what is drawing them out is the grace of God that John has merited by the penances that he's been doing for the people. It's a good lesson for us when we, we want to exercise, let's call it the external apostolate. We want to correct our neighbor. We want to admonish the sinner, etc., before we exercise the external apostolate, we have to be exercising the internal apostolate um, for these same individuals. We have to be praying and doing it, making sacrifices and doing penances for them in order to draw down God's grace on these individuals that we want to bring back to God. Now, those could be children. It could be a, it could be a spouse. It could be a friend or a coworker or whatever. But if we exercise that internal apostolate, um, then when we, the time is right and the and the opportunity presents itself and we do say something to this soul, our words are going to be anointed by God's grace and they will have the effect of penetrating that soul and, and turning them towards God will be an effective instrument in the hands of God. Too often, you know, we want to, you know, throw a book at someone and say, here, you need to read this or, hey, you know, that's wrong or whatever. And basically the person tells us where to go. And it's not surprising because it's, it's normal for our will to resist when, when it is opposed with, with another will. If we're going to win people over again, we have to, like our Lord, like John the Baptist, like any effective apostle. If we read Dom Shatard's, you know, soul of the apostolate. The essence of the apostolate is precisely prayer and penance. Now, all these people are going out to John, and we can say, too, that, that it was a time of expectation, as we said with uh, our Lord's birth in Bethlehem, and, you know, the signs and the, the prophecies having been fulfilled, you know, the years being being completed, there was a certain air of expectancy that doubtless would have moved them to go out. Verse 6, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, this was not the sacrament of confession, and yet we see that they are publicly confessing um, their failings, their crimes, their sins, Um, as an act of humility. There's an old saying that it's easy to confess being a sinner, but it's hard to confess one's sins. We see this very often with Protestants. The Protestants will be the first to say that we're all sinners. We have all sinned, and yet the idea of actually manifesting that, humbling myself, And admitting, you know, to, to another person that I did this or I did that, that's quite humbling. And it is meant to be. I mean, the sacrament of penance was instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ as a healing remedy for our pride. The fact that I have to kneel down, I have to own up to these sins. There is something that is very medicinal about that. Even, even if the, the sacramental absolution wasn't, wasn't there, it would still be very beneficial. Confessing our sins is like talking to our doctor and telling him what our symptoms are, precisely so that he might prescribe a, a proper and a healing remedy. Verse 7, And seeing many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, "Ye brood of vipers, who has showed you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, we see the Pharisees and Sadducees here, and we're going to see them again and again in the in the life of our Lord. Um, the Pharisees were a more strict, um, sect, um, within the Jewish people. Uh, the Sadducees tended to be more lax and the two of them, um, were not, were not friendly with one another. They tended to, to always be at odds with one another. Maybe a bit like the opposition we see between, you know, the Franciscans and the Dominicans or the Dominicans and the Jesuits or, or, or whoever it might be. Speaking of the Pharisees, our Lord is going to call them later whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. Because on the external, again, they were, they were perfect externally, and yet inside there was a real lack of, of a true spirit of, of love for Almighty God. You know, these people, they, they praise me with their lips, and yet their heart is far from me. Now, John is rebuking this hypocrisy. He's telling them clearly, verse 8, bring forth therefore fruit worthy of penance. He is telling them to bring forth a, a life um, that, that is bearing fruit, uh, the fruit of amendment, the penance, the reparation, the suffering, the prayer, the restitution, whatever else. It has to be present there to vouchsafe the, the sincerity of, of the conversion. Verse 9, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham for our father, for I tell you that God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Now, our Lord will say the same thing later. Remember when his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, you know, how how if the children, you know, are silent, the very stones would would cry out. Now, John is cautioning them not to rely just on the fact that they are Jews, not to rely that they are, you know, members of the chosen people, not to, you know, uh, rest contented in the fact that they have Abraham for their father. Because God is not going to spare them because of the, the righteousness or the goodness of Abraham. And so, too, I mean, that, that applies. We can see a, an easy application in our own lives. It's not because we're Catholic. It's not because we're traditional Catholic. It's not because we go to the Latin Mass that God is going to save us. We'll see later in our Lord's Passion. I mean, God the Father doesn't even spare his own son, who, of course, took our sins upon himself. But if we are going to escape the wrath, you know, the second death, as, it, as it's called in the book of Revelation, if we're going to ex- uh, escape being separated from God for all of eternity, at our judgment, we have to be conformed to the image of his son, which means a, a, a life, again, that it replicates um, the value, the attitudes, the virtues of that same son. Verse 10 for now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that doth not yield good fruit shall be cut down and cast into the fire. John is effectively telling them, as we said before, don't depend on origin or birth or baptism alone for salvation. Don't depend on the fact that you, you know, go to the Latin mass or that you were confirmed or ordained, you know, even by, by Archbishop Lefebvre. It's not because we're traditional, whatever. We have to live what we believe. Remember, our Lord, at at one point in the gospel, he says, you know, blessed will you be if you do these things. You know, not not only if you know them, but if you do them, we can know our faith very well and yet not live it. And this is the grace that we have to ask from from uh, our Lord Jesus Christ in these meditations to to give us the grace to be more and more like him. Verse 11, I indeed baptize you in the water unto penance, but he that shall come after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. So John's baptism is meant to lead them, of course, to to another and a greater baptism. He mentions the the indwelling of the Holy Ghost and the fire of divine charity, and both of them are there within us, of course, by, by the sacrament of baptism. But we have to feed them. I mean, obviously we have, we have to nurture that grace that's been giving us. Um, he mentions the shoes of our Lord. I, I am not worthy even to, to bear his shoes. And this was, um, a job that was reserved for slaves. So John's point is that I'm not even worthy to perform the least service for our Lord. In chapter 17 of Luke's gospel, our Lord says, So you also, when you shall have done all these things that are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which we ought to do. Imagine that, that, you know, we, we're doing our duties of state perfectly, we're, we're fulfilling God's will at every turn. And our Lord says, when you do that, he said, consider yourselves unprofitable servants, simply doing what's required of you. And Fulton Sheen asked the question, what are we to say of ourselves when we don't even do that much, when we fall short of even what's required? It means that we're not even worthy to be his servants. Now, remember, John the Baptist is the one saying, uh, you know, these words, you know, this idea that I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes or loose the strap of his sandals. And this is the same John the Baptist that our Lord said was the greatest born of woman. If he is great, it certainly has a foundation in his humility. Remember, he's the one, I mean, he is effectively I mean, uh, a celebrity. I mean, the whole, all, the whole of Jerusalem and the surrounding country around the Jordan is going out to see him. And yet he will say that he, meaning our Lord Jesus Christ, must increase and I must decrease. And the same might be said of each and every one of us. If we die to self, if we get out of the way of our Lord Jesus Christ and let him work in and through us, then he'll be able to baptize men in fire in the Holy Ghost, and will bring men to his Father. Verse 12, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse his floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This imagery, of course, refers to the threshing of wheat, how the wheat would be harvested, and then it would be dried, of course, and then the husk broken off, and then the chaff, of course, the, the winnowing fan would have been blown across it as it was you know, tossed up in the air, and the chaff, of course, would have been blown away, and the heavier wheat then fall into the, to the floor of the barn to be collected and gathered. We certainly would do well to, to meditate on John the Baptist's words. It is um, a fact that life is not a game, and yet so many people approach it with the attitude of, well, let us let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. And yet we have been warned again through this prophet and, and through the teachings of Holy Mother Church. One commentator on this particular verse, you know, encourages us to speak with our Lord, and that's that's the point in our meditation when we cross this verse again, speak with our Lord and prevent by a prompt and sincere conversion that verdict that the dread judge will pass and how how very true that is. Verse 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to the Jordan unto John to be baptized by him. This is really a beautiful scene. We can see how our Lord is actually going out, and he's going to um, make a retreat before he actually begins his public ministry. Whenever a a priest or a cleric, before he receives any of the, the major or minor orders, he makes a retreat to prepare his soul Very often when, when someone is, is facing a a life changing decision, maybe they're, they're going to, uh, they're graduating high school and they're about to go off to college or about to begin, you know, some new career. Maybe somebody is thinking of getting married. Um, it's good to take, um, some time to flee from the world, to get out into a place of solitude. We're going to see our Lord after his baptism. He's going to flee out into the desert for 40 days of preparation. But it's good to make a retreat in order to see clearly the will of God and make sure that whatever choice that we've made, whether it's the decision to enter religion or maybe to go to the seminary or to get married or go off to school or undertake this new career, to really see that that is the will of God for us. And again, this is what our Lord is doing here. It's a sort of retreat before he begins his ministry. Now, the definitive start will be later in in Cana of Galilee, And so this is just simply him leaving home, leaving leaving Nazareth, leaving his blessed mother, um, and going uh, off for a time of preparation. Verse 14, but John stayed him, saying, I ought to be baptized by thee, and come thou to me. We see again here the humility of St. John. And and I say again, I mean, he's a a celebrity, really. I mean, he was somebody revered and, and honored and respected by the world. And yet, you know, you can imagine maybe the people... Um, who are standing around. It's like the, the reverence that they have for John, and then here comes this humble carpenter's son, and they see the, the the deference and the respect that John has for him. It would have been remarkable, no doubt, to those those who were, were witnesses. If we apply this on our own life, it's just a reminder that however great we are, however much we've been blessed by God, either either materially or spiritually or physically or whatever, that all of that is simply a gift, and all of it is is something that we are not owners of but rather stewards and he's going to demand of course an account from us what use we've made of it another application might be to consider that the the example of men not always knowing god's ways and remember our lord is coming and he's asking john to be baptized and john is john is opposing that idea again john is john is a good man he's not sinning but yet he doesn't understand the ways of god as peter um, later is going to, um, you know, oppose our Lord's will at, at various times, you know, telling our Lord to depart from him, or, you know, refusing to let our Lord wash his feet, you know, saying to our Lord, I'm not going to let you die. I mean, again, this, uh, this is all, these are all examples of men, good men, virtuous men, sincere men, and yet men who are not um, thinking according to the mind of God, Verse 15, and Jesus answering said to him, suffer it to be so now, for so it becomes us to fulfill all justice. And then he suffered him, so he allowed him. So we have to be uh, careful to be, uh, well, to be, to be on guard, not to be too attached to our own ideas. We can see how quickly um, John yields once Jesus insists. He says, suffer it you know, to be now. And immediately the evangelist tells us, then he suffered him. He immediately, when God's will became, became clear to him, he didn't stick to his own ideas, didn't stick to his own ways. So, you know, the, when we, you know, it's a question of the discernment of spirits. You know, we realize that this is from God. Well, then we embrace it and, and vice versa. We see something after a period of discernment is not from God or is displeasing to God. Well, we don't continue to cling to it. Verse 16, and Jesus being baptized forthwith came out of the water and lo, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. Um, in Luke's gospel, um, chapter three, verse twenty-one, it says that Jesus came out and prayed, and then and then the heavens were opened and the voice was heard. Um, it uh, it doesn't the, the one doesn't exclude the other. It's just a further detail from Luke's gospel. The dove um, is said to be a symbol um, of Christ's meekness or Christ, Christ's innocence. This is a you know the form of the Holy Ghost. Um, Took on of course when it descended upon him Verse 17 and behold a voice from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased Now like on Mount Tabor, you know some years later uh, That's in Matthew's Gospel chapter 17 all will hear the voice as they as they do on Tabor um, the Greek article that's used or the, yeah, the article in the, the original Greek, it makes it clear that the son that's being referred to is a son by nature and not simply, um, one of adoption as, as we are. And look at what the father says of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we might ask when we look in the mirror, can, can our Lord, can my father in heaven, can he look at me and say, this is my beloved son? Or, Or this is my beloved daughter in in whom I am well pleased. When he looks at us, does he see us or does he see his son? And as Christians, you know, what we should be working for, again, is to die more and more to self in order that Christ might more and more live in us. And then again, when, when the father sees us, he sees then the image and likeness of his son, again, in whom he was well pleased. So that is it, a little bit shorter um, today, um, but plenty there for us to reflect upon. Um, again, if you wanna go back now, Matthew chapter three, verse one through 17, slowly go through these verses on your own, make your own reflections. As we mentioned in the introduction, um, even writing down your thoughts, I mean, writing uh, out even your colloquy, you know, expressing you know, the feelings of your heart, the response of your will, to these truths as you ponder them as you reflect upon them uh in your heart That's our blessed mother um so i will leave you to that and we'll see you in the next conference or talk to you at least take care god bless you